This is Bless Your Boys Podcast 88, recorded Saturday, September 28, 2013. Brian McCann, Unwritten Rules Cop. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Welcome to the Bless You Boys Podcast. We're the editorial staff of BlessYouBoys.com. SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog covers the last week of Detroit Tigers baseball, or should I say Central Division champions for the third straight year of Detroit Tigers baseball. I'm your host, Al Beaton. You know me around the site as Big Al. I'm co-managing editor of Bless You Boys. I have the usual gang with us this week. First off, we have the... I guess you call him a resident humorist who also does uh, does more research than us, and that would be he's off on the west side of the state, and that would be uh, Hookslide. How you doing, sir? Doing just great. I'm still a little bit hungover from the uh, AL Central Championship clinch that that uh, went in place this week, so uh, you have to bear with me. I, I did zero prep for this show other than using the bathroom right beforehand. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm still I still have the sniffles over watching Jim Leland break down in tears. So. Wasn't that sweet? Yes, it was. And of course, we have our resident Youper. He's also a managing editor of Bless You Boys. Uh, he does numerous things for SB Nation, and he is a columnist for the Detroit News. Uh, and there's probably two other things going on that we don't even know about, and that would be Kurt Menchin. Kurt, how's things? I probably should have made my own bathroom break before the podcast. Well, here we go. We're this, this podcast going right in the toilet already. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like having dinner for a 14-year-old, and it always de- devolves into fecal talk. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trust me, I know that from personal experience. So. I think Alice House would be fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, before we start talking about uh, division titles, playoffs, and um, how this all affects the Tigers, um, about the podcast, you want to contact us, thoughts, questions, hate mail, love letters, bybpodcast, gmail.com. BYBTigers at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, at Bless You Boys. And we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash BYBTigers. As we're finding the podcast, we're at the usual places such as Stitcher, iTunes, and numerous other uh, places where podcasts can be downloaded. With that, let's start talking Detroit Tigers baseball. Well, the Tigers clinched this past week, even though, for the most part, the division's been pretty much in their hip pocket since early September. Um, they didn't run away from the rest of the division. Uh, which obviously turned out to be much better than anyone expected. Pretty much everybody at Bless You Boys predicted the Tigers were going to win the division. It was just a matter of when and how, and it turned out when was in game 159. Even though the Tigers clinched, won their third straight division title, some fans just don't, still don't seem to be unhappy. Uh, they are unhappy about this team. Uh, I think that one of the more common beliefs of the haters, I guess I'll call them, are those that they say they shouldn't be celebrating because the season will only be a success if they win the World Series. And the common the example to use is in the NHL. I know it's one of Kurt's more favorite sports, 
where they don't celebrate winning the President's Cup, which is winning the conference. They celebrate when they win the Stanley Cup. In this case, Kurt, I, find, I think it's a little different. One, it's been going on for decades, uh, celebrating after you win a division, make the playoffs. But also, in a lot of ways, I think the more impressive feat than winning the playoffs, because a lot of times the playoffs can just turn on luck, injuries, weather, who knows what. To win a division over a 162-game season, I think, much like you see in something like the Premier League, the best team is the team that wins the regular season. That means much more in, say, other leagues than winning a short playoff. But to win a 162-game division, Kurt, I really think that's really worth celebrating. Well, well, there are there are just so many talking points to work my way through here. But mm. uh, the first one, the celebration thing. Hockey has its culture. That's that's wonderful. That's that's awesome for hockey. Baseball has its culture. There, to, for someone to make a comparison, I know I know there's a lot of Red Wings fans out there who want to try and change every sport into into their sport. Or there's football fans who think every sport should be like their sport. I think every sport should be unique. Baseball. They celebrate after a playoff clinch or a division clinch or the ALDS or the, the CS or the World Series. That's just the culture of the sport. Perfectly fine. I don't think anyone who's a baseball fan cares. And, and I don't think it somehow has ruined these teams because they they, they celebrate. So, you know, that that's just a, a non-starter for me. Uh, number two, I think you do need a World Series. You know, I I don't know if you have to be a hater to to think that either. I, I think the Tigers need a World Series out of this group to to really be seen as a success. I mean, you can talk about the Braves from from the '90s, you know, popping off division after division after division after division after division, and you still look at them and go, well, you know, they don't have that many World Series titles. It it's nice that they made the playoffs repeatedly, but without the without the victory. At the end of the year, it, it's unfulfilling, and uh, you know you might you might see the Braves as this incredible dynasty if they picked up a couple of more World Series victories, uh, you know, in the '90s. But mm. you don't see them that way. You just see them as everyone's favorite runner-up. I, I don't think anyone wants to see these Tigers as the runner-up. But but you are correct. Winning over a 162-game season, it, 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 you know, if if any sport didn't need a playoff, it would be baseball. Of course, if, if baseball didn't have a playoff, we'd be looking at a third-place finish yeah. with, with Boston being crowned champion. So it, it, maybe it's good that there's a playoff. Looks like, is the season only considered a success if the Tigers win the World Series? No, I don't think so. I, I tend to measure it a little bit differently, and I say, stop complaining. You made Jim Leland cry. <laughs> no kidding. My goodness. No, no, I, I take a much more zen approach to it. In fact, I'll tell you a little story. There, there's an old parable uh, of the of the Buddhist monk who was being chased by a tiger, and this tiger was catching up on him, and he came to the edge of a cliff and had to go over the edge of a cliff, and he managed to climb down uh, far enough that he was able to hang off of a tree branch extending from the cl- uh, from the you know side of the of the cliff, and he was stuck there and noticed that the tiger was on top. He had a huge drop you know to the bottom of the, of the ravine, and the branch started breaking, but on the branch was a strawberry. What did the monk do? And the answer is he ate the strawberry and said, that's the best strawberry I've ever had. So the idea is you, you, you celebrate what you have in that in that moment. Would it be great if they would, uh, you know, go all the way and win the World Series? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I think we were alluding to this earlier, saying there were a lot of things that could have gone wrong this year. Um, the Tigers may have been a pretty decent lock to, to win the division, but it wasn't guaranteed. 
I mean, we had injuries to deal with and, you know, the, the suspension of Peralta. Just, I mean, a lot of things could have gone wrong. It was not guaranteed. So it's, it's good that they won it. Um, you know, it provides fans, I think, with, with, uh, you know, in the moment celebration things. Like I was able to watch that clinch game with my dad. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to look at that and go, that, that's a success. I'm going to break out the champagne. I did break out the champagne and, uh, I will celebrate equally, you know, with each step along the way, no matter how far it goes. Yeah, I tend to fall in that camp. Yeah, do I want them to win a World Series? Of course. Will that make the season more successful? Of course. But you know, to to do what they've done, you know, win three straight division titles, and that which is something that has never happened in any of our lifetimes, and pretty much any Tigers fans' lifetime. You know, that's an amazing accomplishment. But uh, they will tend. To, I do agree with Kurt in that they they may tend to get lost in the dustbin of history if they don't win a World Series, because obviously that's how. Uh, legacies are essentially made. You know, this is a team with great players. They're having a great run. You know, they've making the playoffs four times since 2006, but they still need to win that World Series. That's the one thing that um, the vast majority of these players on this team really need to cement their legacies. So, like I said, I hope they do, but I'm, I'm not going to call this season a failure if they don't. I mean, it's a, I would just say maybe less successful. I'll put it that way. And speaking of successful, uh, one of the main reasons why this team has, is on one of the, well, probably one of the best runs in franchise history is the Jim Leland. Uh, as uh, Hook Slide alluded to, and as I alluded to earlier, Jim Leland, he really fits the uh, the, the cliche of, of the crusty on the outside and soft as a donut on the inside. Because uh, 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 once again, he broke down in tears when talking about his team, the fans, the, the city of Detroit after the Tigers clinched, and it really is something for all the hate that this man gets, and he does get a fair amount. You know, even we question his decision-making. It really does show that he still has been, he was the best selection for, for as a manager to run this team, and I would hate to see what happens to this team when he leaves, because they really do seem to reflect him, and I'm sure this team would run through a wall for him, but I, I don't know about you, Kurt, but watching him get all emotional, you, you couldn't help but get emotional yourself. Well, you know, Anyone who looks at Leland's years as anything but successful is incredibly ridiculous. I mean, incredibly ridiculous. You have to go back more than 100 years to get three consecutive playoff appearances. There are two guys in the history of the franchise, a history that is long and storied and and just an amazing history that that lasts, you know, spans what, 114, 115 years? there's only two guys who made the playoffs three consecutive years. Jim Leland is one of them. And no, baseball, uh, you know, we give too much credit to the managers. I, I agree, but I, I don't think you can just say, you know, it's a push button operation either. I, when you start getting guys making $20 million a piece and the egos and who should play here and who should play there and, and where do you bat, you know, this isn't a video game where you can just move them around and it's going to work out. What Jim Leland does to keep this team flowing and, and to, to work it through the, the the stumbles and to keep it level-headed when they when they when they're doing extremely well, he does a lot of work. Uh, uh, you know, I he's just he's never going to be the X's and O's guy right. guy everyone wants. No manager is going to be the X's and O's guys anyone wants. It's just it's baseball. Since managing began, fans have sat in the crowd going, I wouldn't have done it that way. This guy don't know what he's doing. And, and that's the game. And, you know, Leland knows that. He accepts that. I think it's fine for us to second-guess them. That's fine. But but to act like this second-guessing 
we are correct 100% of the time. And Lee Lynch is never correct. That's just, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, you can second guess him, have fun. It's baseball. That's fine. But this guy is a guy who knows what he's doing. And, and obviously when he, when he breaks down, like we've seen after every playoff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, appearance, this is a yearly thing. Uh, you can see how, how much the, the, the franchise means to him. You can see how much his, his players mean to him. And when he talks about the fans, that's usually when the waterworks start. So yeah. the, the the fans might be spending, you know, time to say, oh, this guy is a bum, but but Leland, you know, Leland loves them anyway. So he he understands. He gets the point. He he's a baseball guy, but some of the fans, they I don't think they get it. For those of you listening, we are going to second guess him a little later. So don't worry about that. <laughs> well, that won't change. But a hook slide. Jim Leland, he's going to have a heck of a legacy, part in that he's won a lot, and part that, well, such as the waterworks we saw uh, on clinch night. I'll tell you what, Al, when I think of what this man has done for this team and what he's <laughs> meant to my family and to the city of Tory Hunter, come and get me. I just, <laughs> I'll tell you what, what the, what the, what the uh, what real enlightening thing was for me, the thing that kind of made it, is that a couple of days, uh, the next day, in fact, I think mm-hmm. I, I caught a little bit of the Jim Rome show, yeah. which I don't usually do, but he happened to be on when I was in my car. And, uh, you know, the, the whole Jim Rome thing, you yeah. know, he routinely gets irritated by the existence of air <laughs> and has nothing good to say about anybody. So he's doing his shtick about, you know, these playoff celebrations, terrible. You, you can't tell the difference between one team and the next. Ridiculous. And even he stopped and said, Jim Leland made a difference. He praised Leland's response, saying he showed some real heart. Uh, you know, he, he broke it down and did, did the moonwalk and, you know, did that whole mm-hmm. thing. And so, hey, you know, if Jim Rome gives it the thumbs up, you know you're doing something right. Yeah, I hope when I'm 70 years old, I can moonwalk. <laughs> I'll be lucky if I can get out of bed in the morning. Here he is. Um, traveling around the country for nine months out of the damn year, you know, running a multi-million dollar baseball team on the field. So uh, give, I, I can't give this man enough credit. And you really do have to wonder just how much longer he's going to wait around. And yeah, just uh, maybe to throw that out there, Kurt, uh, Tigers win a World Series. Do you think Jim Leland hangs around much longer? I, I think he did. Well, I, I think he's committed to the, this group of players, and mm-hmm. he, he would he would not – be happy if he was separated from this group of players. So I think he is going to hang around. Yeah, um, hopefully. You believe, yeah, that yeah, that does seem like a good point Kurt makes. That at the very least, I think we'll have Jim Leland around. So I don't see him getting fired no matter what happens. But he'll hang around probably as long as the World Series window is open. Do you think that's uh, – so you think we'll have uh, Jim Leland around for the next two or three years? That's a really good question. I, I mean, I know – from what I read, I think he took some years off of managing before he came to Detroit. Yes, but he did. He also, oh, about a decade, actually. Well, but he had some offers in between, yeah. from from what I understand, the offers that he turned down. So the fact that he came to Detroit, you know, obviously it says he, he wanted this particular job. He liked the city. He liked, you know, uh, Dave Dombrowski, obviously. Um, so he's there because he wants to be there. And... That would that would tend to lead me in the direction of saying he will stay there for as long as you know as long as they will have him. On the other hand, um, you know if they do win the World Series, I wouldn't be too surprised if he if he hung it up you know then and there and said let's go out on top. If they don't win the World Series, I think he'll definitely be back. I tend to follow that. It would not surprise me at all. You're right. You know, considering his age, how long he's been there, that you know he's a baseball lifer, but baseball life can only last so long. That if they do win this World Series, maybe we'll step down. But the only other question is, there's not really a 
definite heir apparent to Jim Leland, at least not in the, in the Tiger system right now. So that's the question we'll get to probably in the off season, you know, uh, you know if that it gets to that point. But I hope he doesn't go anywhere any anytime soon. All right, here comes the second guessing portion of the of the podcast. We always got a second guess, Jim Leland. After uh, Friday night's loss to the Marlins in what uh, my sub- our substitute recapper, Phil Cokesprain, called the most boring game in the history of baseball, and I think he wasn't far off, uh, the ti- that meant the Tigers, that ensured the Tigers will start the American League Divisional Series in Oakland on Friday. They will start on the road. And it was interesting in that it really seemed kind of an odd lineup they put out there in that Miguel Capurra started and played five innings. But Prince Fielder was in the starting lineup only to keep his consecutive game streak alive. Plus, there was also the bumping of Rick Porcello out of the rotation, replacing him with uh, Jose Alvarez. So they were kind of preparing already for for the playoffs. But let me ask you this, Kurt. Do you think they could have made a little more of an effort to go for the uh, for home field in the first round since they were not mathematically eliminated? Or it really did seem like, well, you know, we're in the playoffs. We don't think it's going to make much difference either way. Let's start our preparations now, even though they do have an entire week between uh, – well, not a week, an entire week, but they have, they'll have about five days between the end of the season and the start of the playoffs. Is somebody getting attacked by aliens again? It sure sounded like it. <laughs> that was just me leaving. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Fancy driver. No, the, I, I I think it's fine to get to get your team ready for the, for the playoffs and not try to worry too much about – Trying to get home field advantage. There's always a long shot, and it, it, I, I, you know, I, I'd rather see them rest guys and be ready because we know from history that the Tigers don't need home field advantage. Right. Uh, when's the last time they had home field advantage in a series? I believe, I believe it was 2006 World Series, wasn't it? Yep. So, you know, we we know they do okay without home field bands, and, and in baseball, it's, it's one of the most overrated things you can talk about. Except, you know, as we said in the past podcast, it's good for the gate, it's good yeah. for the to the businesses downtown. But other than that, no, you know, the Tigers didn't need to go out and try to win this game. It's better to think about what comes after Sunday than worry about, uh, you know, trying to pick up an extra win or two that probably wouldn't have helped in the, in the end anyway. Yeah, Hookslay, where do you fall on this, on the Tigers essentially uh, pulling down the tent, so to speak, and just packing things up and just preparing for the playoffs rather than maybe making a bid for home field? I have a very Jekyll and Hyde view, I guess. Um, Should they have made more of an effort on Friday? Yes and no. Um, The the long view, I guess, says they did it right. Let let your good players rest. Um, Get them in the game for a little bit, like with Cabrera, I feel that let them take some at-bats so they don't go completely rusty. But – you know, get start prepping for what's coming next week, and you know that that involves putting Porcello in the bullpen now and just kind of getting used to all of this. That's great. That, that's fine. And when it comes right down to it, even when they were quote unquote phoning it in, it was still a close game that really hinged around maybe two plays. You know, one bad pitch by Porcello, and maybe the fact that Johnny Peralta didn't score. You know, from second base uh, to tie the game. Oh, that damn and, uh, Tommy Brookins! I'm telling you. Well, not, yeah. Uh, don't get me started. Um, so yeah, it wasn't even that much of a you know phone it in kind of game. It was it was a close game. Um, of course, now I'm going to go you know I'll, I'll go Mr. Hyde and say in the short view, um, any fan watching the game, uh, especially if they may or may not have money on the game, says just win. Damn it, you just do what you got to do to win. And you know the the two through five hitters are responsible for over half of the RBIs uh, this season. 
Um, and, and Hunter was out of the game. Torrey Hunter was out. Obviously, Cabrera was pulled early. Fielder was pulled, pulled early. Martinez only came in, you know, for for a pinch hit at bat. So what do you expect? The the, the run production is going to fall way off. And I was surprised. I was. I, I really thought that when uh, Martinez pinch hit that they were going to leave him in at first base. But mm-hmm. no, they didn't. So my my money line is angry, but I'm okay with it. I, I fall in the uh... – same are you guys. It would have it would have been nice to see a little better game on Friday. Yeah, but that was a god awful game to watch. But it doesn't make that much difference to me either if they start on the road or start at home. You know, we've seen far too many examples in the past where it doesn't really make all that much difference. So the only question I would have is just playing Miguel Cabrera as long as they did, you know, playing until the fifth inning. Hell, let them let them play at all, but. We'll get into the Cabrera stuff in a little bit. Then we start talking about the well, the roster and what might affect the roster, which leads us to the roster. I know uh, Patrick wrote a long uh, post about this with a very confusing poll about who gets left off the roster, but he's covered all the bases, uh, saying the roster for this for the for the playoffs is pretty much ninety five percent set, maybe even ninety nine percent set, with the possibility of a, a position player and a reliever or two to be determined as to who gets left off. General consensus seems to be, guys, that position player seems to be down to Hernan Perez or Matthew Tuiasopo. And when it comes to uh, the bullpen, especially with Porcello now in the bullpen, there seems to be a choice between Luke Baconan, Phil Coke, and Jose Alvarez. So I'll start with you, Hook Slide. Who do you, where do you think this goes? Uh, first off, uh, position player. Her, Hernan Perez, Matthew Tuiasopo, or maybe someone else gets left off. You know, if it comes down to uh, Tuiasopo and Perez, uh, my vote would be to let Tuiasa Sopo go. Yeah. Um, I think I think Perez at least gives them you know the option of a, a faster pinch runner, and uh, he he does have I think slightly better defensive skills. I mean we saw that last night on that that great play that he made behind second base. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would I would vote definitely to to put Tuiasa Sopo, um, you know, so let, let him go for the for the playoffs. Um, and as far as the the bullpen, I you know I just saw on Twitter today that uh, it sounds like Phil Coke might be shut down. Yeah. So I don't know if that's even going to be an issue at this point. If they want an extra lefty, it'll be Alvarez. If they want another righty, it'll be Fuconan. So uh, if you're, if, well, who would you go with? I, personally, I tend to fall on the Fuconan side. He just seems to be a more reliable reliever. Uh, well, would that leave? Who would that leave in terms of left-handed? That would be the though? one issue is that it would just leave you with Drew Smiling. Yeah. Or, sure or a position player who could pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Don Kelly. Yeah. Um, no, I, I then I would. Probably lean more towards. Oh man, Phil Coke's brain is going to kill me for saying this, but I guess I would take Alvarez over Putonin just because I don't think it's safe to have just the one one lefty. You know, one lefty. And, and don't worry about that too much because Phil Coke's brain is kind of trying to pull away from that at least a little bit. So, you know, he uh, he is, is his Twitter handle is PCB, so to speak. So. Well, see, now that I've said that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now that I've made the statement, some somebody on the site is going to post some long statistics-heavy mm-hmm. re- response and say, "Don't you realize Pukonen's even better, you know, yeah. <laughs> against left-handers than Alvarez?" And it's probably true. Like I said, I, I I didn't really prep for this show other than to use the bathroom beforehand. So for the most part, no one's Jim Leland. You're right. He would like to have a second lefty, pure and simple. That's just how we. Right. Do. Right. Uh, Kurt, how about you? Uh, when it comes to who gets left off the roster, uh, Perez or Tuiasa Sopo, which uh, which reliever makes it? You know, it, it's still hard, and I know you're you're hoping I'm going to speculate, and I'm and I'm hoping you avoid the question so I won't be wrong. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the the difficult thing is, is truly this rests on Johnny Peralta. If Johnny Peralta 
can, can play in the outfield and, and hit. It actually, I don't really care if it's Tuiasosopo or Perez because having Peralta on the roster could fix either of those issues. Yeah. So uh, truly, I hope I, I hope we see a Peralta in last night. That that play on the double that that left me a bit worried about him, but he also drove in a run, which is really what Jim Leland wants him to do. So to mm-hmm. completely stay off topic there, but oh, uh, well, that's that's what we do. We stray all the time. But but I I don't I I guess I, I, I it's hard because neither Perez nor Tuiasa Sopo exactly make you you jump up and joy uh, jump up and down with joy. So I it's just like you know when you talk about the twenty fifth man exiting spring training and you go, well, you know, you act like it's the most important thing in the world and they're yeah. probably barely going to play. That I think that's the kind of consideration we're looking at there right now. Yeah. And for the bullpen, is it uh, pretty much Alvarez's job to lose at this point? Uh, probably. You yeah. know, I, I don't think, like 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 we said, you know, Coke didn't earn it and then he got hurt. So, and maybe he's getting hurt is why he didn't earn it. You yeah. know, chicken and egg there. But, uh so yeah, I I haven't counted through, and I I have not yet come up with what the bullpen is. So I might say, oh yeah, Alvarez, blah blah blah, and then you know do the mm-hmm. math and go, hey, wait a minute, there's no spot for him at all, you know. So I I'll I'll have I'll have to work through my own roster projection before I have a really good idea, and I probably won't even do that until like Monday. Yeah, and one thing to keep in mind is uh, I think the only reason I would probably go with Perez is that he can run. Pure and simple. You just have that late inning uh, pinch runner who can actually maybe score from first on a double, unlike uh, a certain chubby first baseman. So, uh, as as for the bullpen, yeah, it's kind of half dozen of one, six of the other. Just in that, if, the, if for the most part, the guys we're talking about, I think we're all in agreement is that if they're, if they're pitching or playing, uh, especially when it comes to the bullpen, the Tigers are having major issues. If they're if they're using these guys for any kind of extended playing time. So, yeah, yeah, I'll ask you this, Kurt. In the big scheme of things, I think you pretty much said this, it doesn't make a difference, does it? Nope. Yeah. Hook slide, you agree with that? That no matter who makes, who ends up being the last couple relievers and the last couple position players, it doesn't, it's not going to make a difference if they win or lose, correct? Uh, the only way I could see that making a huge difference is if some of these games tend to run super late, you know, the long extra innings, and then you're down yeah. to, you know, crap, it's, it's down to this guy or that guy on the bench or this or that guy in the bullpen. You know, that that's when it might make a difference, but otherwise I will go with Kurt's more succinct. Nope. Yep. <laughs> well, this, uh, this is also a good segue into Johnny Peralta. He made his uh, first appearance in left field Friday night. Uh, by the way, we are recording this Saturday afternoon on the 28th. Uh, and he wasn't very impressive in left field, as Kurt brought up, the uh, the, the bases-clearing double where he took a very Quittenberry-esque route to a, to, the, to, the, to a rolling ball down the line. And, you know, it pretty much uh, an extra run scored because of it. But he hit the ball hard, and that was really the main thing. Is that if he's playing, he's going to be playing a left field because he can hit, and if he can catch a fly ball, wonderful. And you know, if he, uh, but there's going to be times like we saw with that play where his lack of experience is going to, uh, well, maybe cause a problem here or there. Uh, Kurt, what was your first impressions of Johnny Peralta's return to the Detroit Tigers? Well, you know, I guess he wasn't as bad as Delman Young, mm-hmm. and really, what more are you aiming for? Uh, but no, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't able to keep my attention directed on the screen 100% of the game, so I can't break it down play by play. But 
I hope he learned a lesson from from not getting to to, to you know not cutting off the ball on that double fast yeah. you know because that that's the kind of thing you know in the playoffs that could make the difference between winning and losing a game and that you know it was the play where you go Johnny if you want to make the postseason roster you can't do that again mm-hmm. you know. Maybe all three runs would have scored anyway, but he should have been on his horse getting there and, and getting a, a throw in. So I, I, you know, I wasn't feeling good at that point. But otherwise, you know, I, I didn't hear any any big complaints about this play out there. I, I don't think he many, got many chances either. But mm-hmm. if he hits, he's going to be on this team. I think that's that's ultimately what's going to work. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of with you, Kurt, in that uh, it was a very hard game to keep 100% attention to, to say the very least, because I know I didn't either, and I wasn't working like you were. So, uh, hook slide, first impressions on Johnny Peralta, if you have any. Uh, I think he basically lived up to my expectations and probably the expectations of a lot of people that speculated about his you know, return and, and playing in left field, and that was just kind of, huh, okay, not not great, not terrible um a little bit of a goofy route there on that on that double in the left but uh you know like you said hopefully he learns the lesson there and now you know in the regular season before we get to the postseason uh so he may have cost the team that that extra run but on the other hand he also knocked in a run um you know so it kind of evens out yeah it's uh as kurt said if he hits that pretty much solves the majority of the problems, and hopefully he'll hit enough to make up for the occasional fielding mistake, as we saw Friday. And who knows? Maybe, like I said, he will have learned a lesson that he needs to be a lot more aggressive when it comes to cutting balls off, and you know, and hopefully will kill Austin Jackson or Jose Iglesias on a pop up. So again, that's the other fear. But, well, you, uh, you kind of want to say it's like you know we we knew this was coming though. Yeah. So I I don't I don't know I, I would be. I don't really want to hear a whole lot of people complaining is what I'm saying, you know, like, oh, he's so bad. Yeah, well, we knew that. We knew, we knew that, this was yeah. going to be a risk. We yeah. knew this. So, you know, why don't don't act surprised if he makes a couple miscues out there, you know, as long as he is hitting. And I, I personally thought that was the part I was paying attention yeah. to, Peralta at the plate, and I thought he looked really good for mm-hmm. somebody who's not played in 50 games. It, it did my old heart good to see him taking those kinds of swings. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that was definitely missed by the Tigers over, the, over these past uh, month and change is the uh, is, is that extra pop towards the bottom of the lineup that Peralta brought. And he did have it last night. He, he only had one hit, but he pretty much hit the ball hard in every at-bat. So, pure and simple, if he hits, I'm not going to worry too much about the defense unless, obviously, something catastrophic happens. But hopefully he knows enough not to, well, get into those kind of situations. All right, and the other catastrophic Problem might be Miguel Cabrera's health. Uh, there's real. It's looking at this point that he's not going to be 100 percent or even 90 percent. Hell, he may not even be 75 percent before the season ends, whenever that may be, be it a week, a week and a half from now, or, or a month from now. So the question is, is why is he playing at all in the final series in Miami? You know, other maybe I could see maybe giving as Coach I said, giving him that bat to get him the hell out of there, so leave him in the game for five innings. And the other question is, is how this is going to affect the Tigers' chances overall? Because Kurt's compadre at the Detroit News, Lynn Henning, wrote a long, lengthy piece about this, essentially with, of the belief that Cabrera's injury equals doom to the Tigers' chances. So, uh, Kurt, Miguel Cabrera's health, you know, what's going on here? 
Well, you know, anyone who, who thinks that the Tigers are the same team with an unhealthy Cabrera as, as if they had a healthy Cabrera, they'd be wrong. You, you know, you don't take an mm-hmm. MVP, MVP caliber player out of your lineup or, or even or have a 50% in your lineup and, and still be as good of a team. So, no, no, the Tigers are not as good as if they, as, as they were in, with Cabrera healthy in, say, July. It, it's just a fact. Uh, it, it, it makes their path more difficult. Now, Doom, maybe, maybe not. You know, I think we focus so much on one player in the lineup, Cabrera, that we we forget there's a lot of other good players still in the lineup, and there's some very, very, very good players in the rotation. And in the postseason, having those power pitchers who go deep in games, shut down their opponent, and, and that's what wins it for you. The Tigers have the best rotation yeah. in, in the postseason. That puts them in every single game they play. They don't need to score five runs with this rotation. If these players play as they're capable of, as they've done all year, three runs, the Tigers win. Two runs, the Tigers have a good shot at winning. So you don't need to beat them down with a 10-run offense either. They they have a team capable of going all the way. It's just not going to be as easy as if Cabrera were healthy. I guess the question is, Kurt, at this point, it really seems like since they're playing them, if he sits, he's not going to get healthy either. At least that's the impression I'm getting. The impression from everything I've read about this topic and the quotes I've seen, the impression I get is sitting him isn't going to get him healthy either. That's just it seems like something that's going to just going to have to happen in in the months during the off season. And you know, even though the Tigers denied it, uh, Henning's uh, you know idea that it, it looks like a sports hernia seems. Like it might be right, you know, mm-hmm. the Tigers, I, they might have to deny it. I mean, seriously, but it, it sure seems to add up when, when you look at everything we've read about it and, and you know, remember back to Meglio or Donia's in 2005, it, it mm-hmm. the, the picture adds up and you just, you just wonder, you know, if he sat around for a week, would he get any better? Maybe not, you know, he, mm-hmm. he, he had rest earlier this month and he didn't really get any better after that. So. Don't play him too much, but the idea that resting him is going to make him better might not be accurate either. Yeah, I, I'm getting the impression that once the season ends, we're going to find out really that he was hurt much more severely than the Tigers have let on. Kind of like how you find out in hockey at the end of a end of a playoff run, and you find out that some of the players are playing. Well, he had two broken legs. This guy had a punctured lung, and you know this guy had you know who you know was at death's door. Yet they still kept playing. I'm getting the impression it's going to be as as you and Henning were alluding to that much more something that may end up requiring surgery or a very lengthy rehab. Uh, hook slide, uh, Miguel. I think Kurt made a good point in that even Miguel uh, even Miguel Burr isn't a hundred percent healthy. The Tigers should have enough talent on this team to overcome it. You know, especially if Prince Fielder hits to his capabilities. Don't you think? I think Kurt's point is is good as far as it's pointing to the you know the, to this, the pitching rotation. Uh-huh. They will keep the Tigers in the game, in those you know small ball games where it's two to nothing or three to one or whatever. Um, but you know the other side of that coin, I guess, is that um, you know this team is not built to play small ball. Mm-hmm. They're not built to do the whole run manufacturing thing. Um, you know they they rely on the big hits, and I, I'm starting to wonder about you know again I'm going to be executed for saying this, but, you know, the the wisdom of having Cabrera batting where he is in the lineup simply because, uh, you know, v has been hot. Martinez has been very, very hot. So has Prince Fielder. But 
the assumption is that Cabrera is going to be on base mm-hmm. when they're getting those those hits, and right now he can't do anything when he's on base. He can't score. Uh, you know, he can't score on a base hit. You know, when he's at second base or whatever. So you kind of wonder. You know, is is it worth kind of as long as we're experimenting in these last couple of games, you know, is it worth experimenting with kind of moving the lineup around a little bit? So at least if Cabrera is going to be hitting singles, maybe he's got Vmart ahead of him on base, mm-hmm. you know, someone that can actually, uh, you know, score. And that, that's a sad thing to say, isn't it? We're, we're looking at Vmart as being the faster yeah. guy at this point, but I mean, that's just an idea. But, um, no, I said earlier that, that, uh, the, the two through five slots in the lineup are, are, Good for uh, over 50% of the team's total RBIs, um, but of that 50%, Cabrera is worth almost 20%. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it it has to have an impact when he can't hit doubles because he can't run them out, and he, has, he does not seem to have the torque power to hit the home runs right now. So this this could be a very very interesting postseason, you know, with with that going on. It's obvious that he's not using his lower body at all when he swings at this point. It's all arms and shoulders and. Uh, balls he was hitting out two months ago are dying at the warning track now, and I have a feeling that this, it is who he is. And you do make a good point, looks like, that maybe the Tigers should adjust the lineup a little bit because I hate using the term base clogging, but you're right. He is literally station to station. If he tries to take more than one base at a time, he usually ends up having to leave the game. So there's a – Jim Leland has his work cut out for him, to say the very least, when it comes to managing his best player who insists on playing, who really has to play yet is, I won't call him a, a shell of his former self, but he's definitely a much lower percentage of his lower self. To the earlier point, I think we are going to find out that this injury was a lot worse than mm-hmm. anybody let on. In fact, you know, we'll find out that he was, in fact, dead this entire time and <laughs> yeah. somehow still out there. But he's still getting base hits. You yeah. can't take that away from him. And he's playing uh, okay defense. And he's playing okay defense, although I understand it's the defense part that tends to aggravate the injury. Yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, should should he even be at third base? Do we have to move him to DH? And that, that creates a whole different kind of yeah. you know, problems. But, yeah. Yeah, I guess at this point he is what he is, and we just maybe will there be some sort of miraculous recovery in those five or so days between the end of the season and the playoffs. So, But that does lead to what worries you entering the playoffs. I mean, there's got to be something that uh, concerns you guys in particular, or maybe numerous things that may concern you guys about this team as we enter the postseason. As Jim Leland has said numerous times during the season, we win when we hit balls in the gaps, when we hit balls over the fence, and we pitch good. And as Hooks, I said, this is not a team built to play any kind of small ball at all. This is a station-to-station. We hit two and three run home runs, and and then we outpitch you. When it comes down to it, though, there's some there's some issues here that a lot of, that are, that different people are bringing up in different ways. Uh, so you know, there you have what about Justin Verlander? How good is he? How good will he be? Obviously, we just talked about Cabrera. Bruce Rondon, that's a big issue if you ask me. Is his is his right elbow? He looked awesome in his one appearance in three weeks, and then his elbow acted up again. The bullpen in general, it really seems like there's two or three guys there that you're well. I don't even, hell at this point. The only guy I really really trust is uh, Joaquin Benoit. Everybody else, uh, there's question marks around them. The offense seems to disappear at times. You know, you know, They've been shut out far too often of teams with this much talent. There's the inability to stop the running game, even though the running game tends to, of the teams the Tigers are going to be playing, it doesn't seem to be a big part of their offense, but you've got to think they're going to test the Tigers. You know, plus there's past history. You know, this is a team that seems to come up short in the World Series for weird reasons. In 2006, it was the 
Uh, as we all remember, pitchers fielding, among some other bizarre stuff. And then last year, they just stopped hitting. So, Kurt, you know, I just put a laundry list of things that could go wrong or could be an issue. Did anything in particular really worry you going into the playoffs right now? You know, I I, I would worry about the hitting drought the most. Mm-hmm. That, that seems to be what gets them every time. You know, they, they go from a team that scores – a bunch of runs, and all of a sudden, after a couple of days off, they score zero. You know, the, we saw in the World Series, uh, yeah, the Giants had good pitching, mm-hmm. but the Tigers, everyone just dried up completely all at once, and they could barely they could barely do anything. And, and that would be my biggest concern, that they're going to one of those prolonged slumps where it's not, you know, and I know I just talked about Cabrera and said they should still be okay. They should still be okay. Because it, it's not just Cabrera, you know, if Fielder and V-Mart and, and Tory Hunter and Austin Jackson, if they all slump at once, doom, disaster, it's it's over. And we, we've seen in the past few post-seasons, we've seen that that, that happen. Uh, and that, that so that's my big concern. And I guess extra innings games, thanks to the bullpen, might be the other concern, yeah. you know. But if they if they use Rick Porcello correctly, it might it, it you know it, it might make that not such a big deal. So I, I I'm not as worried about the bullpen as, as others. I think if the rotation goes seven or eight innings, and the the bullpen is good enough to hold the rest. So I, I'm I'd mostly be worried about the sudden blackout of offense. I just got the sudden flash here of uh, is using Rick Porcello correctly. The new are they using Drew Smiley correctly? So <laughs> I would not be surprised if that comes up during the playoffs. Hook slide. How about you? Is there anything in particular? Or maybe even something that, uh, that laundry list I named off, or anything I maybe I didn't name, that concerns you going into the postseason. Well, the number one issue, and we just kind of beat that one to death, and that's Miguel Cabrera's mm-hmm. injuries and, and his health. I think he'll have the biggest impact on on the you know on the lineup on the offense. Um, it would be nice if they could uh, not all slump at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they are a much better team when they when they do the the blowout game. Uh, and, and are able to kind of work through. It gives well. The second issue is it, it's the middle relief for me. Mm-hmm. The middle relief in the bullpen, and they, I think they need bigger leads to work with to be successful. Um, but now that you know Rick Porcello is is in the bullpen, I don't know how that really colors that picture. Um, it's kind of hard to tell. Last night he came in and made a bad pitch and ended up giving up you know three runs. Mm-hmm. So hard hard to tell how that you know kind of shakes out. But that's those, I guess those are my my two biggest concerns is, is the middle relief and the uh, you know, how much negative impact Cabrera is going to have on the lineup. And not just the hitting, again, but it, it's, mm-hmm. it's being dead weight on the bases. Yeah, I have to go with, the, the, obviously, Cabrera, which all and it really does tie into the offense as a whole. Again, I'm still nervous, still nervous about that bullpen, especially there's that there seems to be the, as Hooks I brought up, you know, that soft white underbelly of the bullpen. If, they, if the starters don't do their job and get knocked out, and the, uh, no, they get to with these ridiculously high pitch counts in the fifth inning or something like that. And that's that fifth through seventh inning where the Tigers seem to have trouble scraping together some, you know, some stability. But then again, as Kurt mentioned, though, Rick Porcello could go a long way towards stabilizing that. But, well, again, we'll have to wait and see. But hopefully the starting pitching – steps up their game, and it really the bullpen becomes a mood issue. So if the Tigers are going to win, it's going to be come down to how well the starting pitching do, it does, and if they hit, they got to hit, pure and simple. And really that kind of wraps up what we wanted to really talk about when it comes to the Tigers because the next podcast we do will be right around game one with the A's, so that will probably be more of a 
let's look at Tigers versus A's podcast, depending on when we record, kind of previewing the series or maybe talking about the first game. So for the most part, though, is for sometimes as doomy and gloomy as we can be, they're still a pretty darn good team, even with some of the issues they've had. They've been able to patch together a bullpen. They've been able to overcome Cabrera's injuries, and there is enough talent in this team to go all the way. And plus, you know, hey, Jim Leland. So there's some, still some other things going on in baseball that we want to uh, touch on before we wrap up the show. Of course, that means the controversies. Well, I don't know if I could call the controversies part of the podcast, including the AL wild card, but we got to talk about it because it does involve the Central. Two games remaining, guys, as we're recording. Actually, Rangers are playing right now as we're recording, and the Indians are in a rain delay. Their game hasn't started. The way things are going right now, as of Friday night, Braves and Indians were tied for the, for the wild card, the two wild cards, and the Rangers are one game out. So uh, who do you think gets in? And do you think we're going to have a play-in game? So, Kurt, I'll start with you. What's what's up with the wild card? Who do you think gets in? I am I'm not changing my my projection from ten from almost ten days ago. I projected the Indians would get in and the Rays would get in, and that's because I thought the Indians had the best uh, remaining schedule, and obviously they're facing the Twins, so they they still have a pretty easy schedule, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. And I, I I thought the Rays were just a solid team, so they'd get in that. And at the time, the Rangers were losing and. Yeah. Losing and losing and losing. They've stopped losing that much. They were they're actually what on a, like a six game or five game win streak before last or before two nights ago. So you know, I I just think the Rangers are just going to end up a one game too short. I, I think the Indians and and the Rays are going to take care of it. But would I like to see chaos? You know, I would love oh, to yeah. see chaos. Oh yeah, Captain Chaos. I'm Captain. I'm Major Chaos. <laughs> I mean. I would love to see chaos. On the other hand, you know, through my work, through my through my job, I, I happen to work with a lot of people from Ohio, and and you know, they're nice people, and they really they they would really appreciate it if the Indians made the playoffs, you know, and and I would like to see the Indians make the playoffs for them, but I would also enjoy chaos for me. You know, make the Central look that much better. You know, I am kind of finding myself rooting for the Indians just because. Uh, well, for all these years, Essential being ragged on Essential has actually turned out to be a pretty darn good division this year. Hook slide, how about you? Are we going to see a play-in game, and who do you think gets in? I actually agree with Kurt, and that doesn't happen very often, so <laughs> enjoy this while it lasts, Kurt. But, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, you should to... be the one who enjoys it. I'm the one who's always right. Except on Thursdays. I will, I will hold on to that. No, I, I all joking aside, uh, I, I think Indians and Rays are, are who we're going to see. And, uh, but somehow there will be a weird rupture in the time space continuum and the, the guts of 1987 will somehow leak in and the twins are going to win. I, I don't <laughs> yeah, know how that's possible, but they're going to do. Yes. They're, they're going to take all the marbles this year. It's, it's going to be horrifying. No, um, Indians versus Rays and I predict that Tampa Bay wins that. Because, yes, the Cleveland Indians are on an absolute tear right now, but, I mean, come on, look at who they're playing. And, you know, when it comes right down to it, they go up against Tampa Bay. Um, the Rays have owned them this mm-hmm. year. Uh, I think they're something like 4-2 and two or 5-2, and two, something like that on, on the season. So Cleveland versus Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay gets in. Yeah, and but yeah, what way it's looking is that I would not be surprised at all. I agree with you there, Hook Slide, that the, the Tribe end up getting into the wild card but then get knocked out because – they have sucked against any team that's over 500. They've made hay against under 500 teams this year. I mean, look what look what the Tigers did to them. So put them up some against some of the best in the AL, and they still don't stack up. And again, 
everything they're doing has to be it has to have an asterisk because of who they're doing it against. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're bullies. <laughs> they become the hallway bullies of the of the central going around picking on all the weaker kids yes. and, and feeling big and tough because of it. But just just wait and see. Yeah, and then the football players like the Tigers, A's, and Red Sox come around and they're like, yes, sir, no, sir. That's what right. did you say, sir? <laughs> How high? I think we're all rooting for chaos. We want to see a play-in game. Well, let me ask you this, Kurt. Can we really call the wild card game a playoff? That's the way I view it. I don't think, you know – I don't think you can have a playoff that's a game. I think it has to be a series in baseball for it to really count. So I I feel like this is a play-in game, and, and if there's chaos, we could have a play-in game and then another play-in game to see who gets to the play-in game to play into the real playoffs. So I think I understood that, what you just said. I don't know that <laughs> I understand what I just said, but I think it's true. So I, I that would be fun. That's That's all I have for you. Yeah, hook slide. I, I'd like to compare what they're calling a play uh, a playoff game to what I would compare it to the NCAA tournament. Well, they don't call it a play-in game. You just call it like the the sixty fourth and sixty fifth team or something like that. And they, you know, and they play on Tuesday before the tournament, but they call it part of the NCAA tournament. But nobody thinks so. So I, I tend to think of this as a playing game, even though it'll say in the annals of history that it, they both teams made the playoffs. But I don't know about you, but I find this a, as it's a misnomer. I would have to agree. I, I mean, I'm maybe too much of a purist or whatever. Uh, that you know, I, I think this whole two wild card system is just—I think it's silly. Um, it's it's one of those weird fingerprints that that Bud Selig left on the game, I guess. But um, it, it just to me, it doesn't make sense. You know, I, I get why you have to have a wild card because when you're playing, you know, in a three division uh, setup, you need a fourth team, mm-hmm. you know, to to make the playoffs symmetrical or whatever. But what, what was the point of adding, you know, that second wild card? It just it, it's getting kind of a little bit ridiculous. And I think I mentioned this last week, but I have a column that will be coming out pretty soon explaining the history of the playoffs and just how you know, how much chaos it will eventually devolve into in future years. Yeah, kind of like the NHL playoffs, which seems like everybody makes it. You know, and then the playoffs last about three and a half months. At least that's what it feels like. We got to talk about more unwritten rules breaking and enforcement, and of course, it involves the Braves once again. And they're very rigid in this enforcement, and especially catcher Brian McCann, who seems to have taken over as the Wyatt Earp of of enforcing these unwritten rules. And essentially, every time someone hits a home run, it turns into the uh, a shootout of OK Corral. Uh, this time around this past week, the Brewers' Carlos Gomez homered off the Braves' Pomon, and he jawed with the pitcher, and he jawed with Freddie, uh, jawed with, you know, talked trash to Freddie Freeman, you know, and he did the old posing and the bat flip. As he circled the bases, and he, as he talked the whole way around, which pissed off unwritten rules arbiter Brian McCann, who actually went up the baseline, stopped Gomez from crossing the plate, and got in his face which incited a bench-clearing pushing match against where many stern words were said. And amazingly enough, it was Gomez and Reed Johnson who got ejected from the game, not McCann. And then when it came to suspensions, again, McCann got off scot-free. He got a fine while Gomez and a couple other guys got hit with a game. Uh, I'm telling you guys, at this point, God forbid... If McCann isn't around for home runs, I can see that's why they can get suspended, because someone has to enforce these unwritten rules. You know, otherwise there's going to be anarchy. (laughs) Pure simple. Kurt, what's your take on Brian McCann becoming a cop? You know, when when Wisconsin lost that strange game a couple of weeks ago and and the the wife of the former coach tweeted karma, 
Yeah. Th- that was the first thing that came to mind to me when, when McCann came out of the game a couple of days ago and, and, and has to miss the rest of the regular season. I just thought, karma. Mm-hmm. You know, I, he's, he's not a very likable figure. I don't know if he's trying to be or not, but he's not a very likable figure for, for reasons like this. And I, it, I don't understand how he avoided a, a suspension. I, I, if you go, well, who, who is the cause of this particular problem? Well, Gomez obviously mm-hmm. had a little bit to do with it. And then the guy standing in front of home plate blocking him had a lot to do with it. If he hadn't stood there, if Gomez had just pressed home plate and went back to his dugout, maybe somebody gets hit by a baseball and whatever. But no, you know, he's standing in front of home plate, suddenly there's a bench clearing brawl. I think McCann was clearly the guy who escalated this, and, and he, he deserved a harsher punishment. So that that's my take. As far as the unwritten rules, uh, you know, Gomez was in the wrong, but uh, they were all in the wrong. It was yeah. just no winners here. Everyone's a loser. Yeah, you're, you're right at that. Uh, Gomez started the mess, but it escalated because of McCann. I, you know, and it's, that's exactly what would have happened. If he hadn't have done this, and someone would have got plunked, and it would have been a shoving match anyway. But it just this turned into an absolute clown show. Huxley, what's your take on this with the Braves? It seems like the Braves are about every other week now. This is like the third time in a little over a month where they've gotten in with into it over with, over team over incorrect protocol as to how to celebrate a home run. And if you're asking me at this point, I'm rooting against the Braves because they're coming off as a bunch of pain in the ass killjoys led by McCann, who is, uh, if you ask me, a douche. Well, I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> Better you that said it than, than me. Um, but, yes, yeah, this is the third time, right? They, they got upset mm-hmm. over Bryce Harper. They got upset over Jose Fernandez hitting his home run, and now, you know, Carlos Gomez. And I, I posted on Twitter earlier this week and said, you know, when, when, to the Braves, you know, when it starts to look like everybody else is doing it wrong, maybe it's not everybody else. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's you. So, and yeah, absolutely agree with Kurt that, you know, Gomez was in the wrong. He absolutely pimped the hell out of that home run. And he started barking at the pitcher from the time he left the batter's box, you know, and all the way around the bases, yelling at uh, Freddie Freeman at first, and then, you know, continuing to yell at the pitcher on second. He really, you know, in a way, he was he was asking for it. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you got to let it go. Let, you know, hit him with the next pitch or whatever. I don't even, no, I don't advocate even for that, but. You know, that, isn't that supposed to be one of the unwritten rules is that you just plunk the guy the next time? I mean, where, where do they get this, I'll stand in the base paths and block you from scoring? That absolutely escalated. It forced a confrontation. And that's what, you know, ended up with, with Johnson coming in and throwing a punch, and that's why he got, you know, in so much trouble because he, he was, you know, more aggressive, I guess. But, yeah, it's McCann's fault for, mm-hmm. for standing there and forcing the issue and forcing the confrontation. Do you remember, uh, you know, a while back we had a, a little meme going on the site about Donnie, uh, Don Kelly and Donnie Deeds? Donnie Deeds, indeed. Donnie Deeds. Donnie always does nice things for people, you know, hits a home run and then helps the old lady with her groceries. I feel like McCann has kind of become the anti-Donnie Deeds, you know? <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, uh, he blocked me in line at the grocery store and then he yelled at me because I was in the 12 items or less lane and I had 13 items. Mm. You know, he, he yelled at me at the restaurant because I, I didn't tip enough, you know? So who, who is this guy? <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, I'm just losing track of all these unwritten rules, and somebody needs to start writing these down so we all know when they're they're broken. And oh, obviously that's obviously a job for Brian McCann. Pure and simple. Well, I have to wonder, Al, to your point, is is anybody you know really rooting for the Braves at this point? I hope this, not. You know, I really hope not. Except for Braves fans, yeah. obviously. But I mean, no, I I hope they get knocked out before the the league championship. 
All right, one more topic before we wrap up the podcast and start preparing for the playoffs after we get through two more unimaginably boring regular season games, and that is the announcement that MLB Commissioner Bud Selig says he will step down. Uh, when he does step down, it'll be in January 2015. That'll be a 22-year reign for the former owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. It's, there's been an, an amazing amount of change under um, his tenure. Uh, you know, some of the good things, if you want to call them good, you know, obviously we've actually we brought this up about the realignment, the three of divisions, adding extra playoff rounds. Obviously, that meant more TV games. Uh, the expanded baseball to Tampa and Arizona. They created the World Baseball Classic, and you have to give a baseball a ton of credit for what they've done with MLB TV. They pretty much have led the way when it comes to Internet-type television. But for all the good things that happened under his tenure, it's going to be overshadowed by labor unrest, which included a seven-and-a-half-month-long strike and the cancellation of the 1994 World Series. The steroid era, which, you know, we could do an entire podcast on the steroid era and the fallout from that, and along with that... Yeah, <laughs> along with the uh, the mess that the Hall of Fame has become because of it. And, you know, a team moved. Uh, the Montreal Expos left a market that loved them to go to Washington. So there's been a lot of downside to Bud Selig's uh, tenure. And, again, we always do have to remember the commissioner is a puppet of the owners. Regardless of all that, uh, Kurt, do you think uh, Bud Selig will leave a positive or negative legacy? He made a lot of money for our, for the the, the game. So yeah. You no, know, I I think I think a lot of people are going to really remember him for growing the game, especially MLB Advanced Media. I mean, that's you know that that's growing into this big super entity of its own. It's not mm-hmm. just baseball. It's not just MLB TV or or, or the, the the websites. You know, they they got sports on earth, and they're expanding into other places. It, and I think they're partnering with USA Today and, and Gannett. I mean, they, they, there's a lot going on there. As far as the revenue stream is, I think teams are making more money. Everyone, everyone's happy. I think the game is fine right now, despite you know Seelig accidentally trying to shoot his own foot a few times by overplaying this steroids card. I think the game is, is very healthy right now, and I I don't think he's going to remember be remembered negatively for uh, labor unrest. I think he's going to be remembered positively for labor unrest because mm-hmm. other than that exception, ninety four or ninety five. That's it. Yeah. You know, we're going on 19 years of, of labor, fine, and it's going to extend for several more years in the future. So it's going to be at least 20 years, you know, maybe 25 years, who knows, of of labor peace, thanks mm-hmm. to the moves that were made. The players benefited. The owners benefited. I hope the fans have benefited. I don't see how they haven't. So I, I think the game is in a good place, and uh, he had a lot to do with it. So I, I think... For the most part, he's going to, he should be remembered well. Sure, he, he, steroids there is, is a mistake, but, and, you know, it's not just him. It, it was going mm-hmm. on before him. It, you yeah. know, Faye Vincent was talking about drugs being a problem in the game, and he couldn't get anything done. So it's not just Seeley. It, it, it was a, it, it was a bigger problem than, than one man could tackle, I think. So overall, I know we all complain about him, and, and, and he's easy to make fun of because he's, he's ugly. <laughs> he's ugly, so it's easy to make fun of. It, it, that's just the way it is in the world. No one can make fun of me because I'm 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 handsome. But you know, you guys maybe you get made fun of. But uh, see, like he, he's ugly, so people make fun of him. That, that's my theory. But overall, I think he's done a good job. And you do make a good point on the labor unrest because pre 1994, the MLB was good for 
uh, strike or a lockout at least once a decade in like uh, what 72, 81. Those are the you know that come right to mind. So I think both parties have realized that they're making so much money now. It'd be absolutely idiotic to shut baseball down for any length of time over labor. There's just too there's plenty of money to go around, and and he's a big reason for that. Hook slide. Obviously, there's going to be a mixed legacy. I think the biggest issue will be the steroid era. But uh, where do you fall on uh, on on uh, the commissioner? Will it be a positive or negative legacy when he does retire? Uh, you know, I feel like I, I would almost have to be 40 or 50 years older to really, you know, answer that question adequately. To have seen kind of his whole tenure, but also to be able to compare that with guys like uh, Giamatti, you know, or um, was in Uberoth in there for a while. Yeah, Peter Uberoth, um, uh, Bowie Kuhn, you know, there's, 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 these also have been the guys pretty much. Oh, and uh, Faye, uh, Faye Vincent. Faye Vincent, right. Yeah. So just to kind of, you know, do some comparisons there, but I, I will say that I, I think um, it's just the way that, that baseball seems to work, that what's really going to uh, determine whether he leaves a good or a bad taste in people's mouths is what what happens in the last year or two of his tenure. And I think the biogenesis scandal really left kind of a bad taste with people just with the way that was handled, you know, the way that they came by the evidence, you know, how they acquired it, who they acquired it from, the, the the feeling that there was not due process, you know, the whole accept your suspension without appealing or we'll punish you even, you know, further, didn't really play very well, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say he probably needs to do something really landmarkish and great in the next year uh, in order to go out on a high note. I said, when he does leave, I, I think it is safe to say the baseball will be in pretty good shape, but there are a lot of underlying issues going on that could cause problems, and specifically he's been talking about the money bubble. With the changes that are going on and how media is being uh, uh, watched by fans is that you know, right now much of uh, baseball's growth is caused by the crazy money they're getting from cable companies and cable networks and, and the major TV networks, and you've got to wonder if that money is going to be around in 10 or 15 years. Which is then again, you got to look on the other side is that well, baseball has seen this coming, and with the MLB TV and the other things they have going on digitally, that would be the, uh, one of the big concerns right now. If I'm if I'm but selling, that I have to kind of plan for the future because I don't see that kind of money being there, at least not on that side of the equation, in maybe ten or fifteen years. And plus, obviously, it's going to be mixed, obviously, because a lot of good things have happened. Baseball has never been healthier. The excitement's there. Attendance is nuts. I mean. For all the people who used to say, oh, I, I loved baseball back in the day, I loved going to Tiger Stadium. Tiger Stadium held 10,000 more people, yet they never drew 3,000 people in a season way back in the day when Tiger Stadium was going full tilt. Now, it's become commonplace at Comerica Park. This country, you know, you know, even though it's a football nation now for the most part, this country is still, and for very large swaths of it, is baseball crazy. And we're in one of those baseball crazy markets right now. Baseball is healthier than hell. I just hope it stays that way, and I hope the commissioner is laying the groundwork so it does. Because I don't want to see, you know, there may be some changes down the line, especially when it comes to salaries and how these things are, you know, it's hard to believe that teams are going to be able to continue to have $200 million salaries when you're not sure where that money is going to be. But until that happens, baseball is doing good, and he has a lot to do with it. But goddamn, that damn steroid area is still messy, state of very least. All right, guys, I think it's wrap it up. So it's time for final thoughts. Or anything we haven't covered, now's the time to do so. So hook slide, I will start with you. Anything on your mind? Sure. Let's have a little people interest story here. Uh, Marion Rivera's farewell oh. at that Yankee Stadium. I watched the clip, you know, and saw, uh, you know, Andy and Derek come out and retrieve him in the top of the ninth inning, and the the ovation and the tears and the whole thing. It was it was a beautiful 
you know, sort of a lifetime television mm-hmm. movie moment. But the one thought that kind of kept nagging at me is the, the guy's a relief pitcher. That's what he's, you know, being praised for in this moment. Why didn't they let him finish the mm-hmm. inning? And I know probably the answer is because they wanted to have that moment of drama. Yeah. You know, to, to, you know, not just have the game sort of end with the third out, you know, or whatever. But um, I almost thought, like, wouldn't it have been more honoring to him to actually let him do the job, you know, that, that he's become so famous for doing? What do you guys think? I'm, I'm sure it was all manufactured, pure and simple. You're right. It was uh, the only reason he was not he didn't finish that game is because they wanted to have that TV friendly, uh, clip friendly, YouTube friendly moment of him being pulled from the game and everybody having the standing ovation. That's pure. It's, it was completely manufactured. I guess that's the one thing about it that kind of bothers me. Not me. I, I thought I thought it was wonderful. I, I really, you know, you, you get a lump in your throat, or, or you know, the more emotional we'll talk about dust in the air. But, uh, you know, I thought I thought it was a good moment. And I don't think it's any different than, you know, basketball where you call a timeout and a starter comes off to, to, to you know, a standing ovation. I, I thought it was that kind of a moment where you, it's not the, it's not going to be the same if you wait until after the game. You, ha- you have to have that moment before the end of the game or else, you know, there's just going to be applause. It, it would get lost, I think. I think uh, we we saw one of the best relief pitchers ever to to play baseball in in history. Uh, it was a, it was a beautiful moment after the game that he got so I was happy with it. Wow, when I'm the cynical one and Kurt's the sentimental one, I, I gotta wonder what's going on. <laughs> I'm I'm very worried about Kurt at this point. Yeah, no kidding. That's just not that's not Kurt mentioning at all. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Speaking of that, well, Kurt, your turn. Uh, anything on your mind? This is Kurt mentioning after all. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this is CNN. No, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, God, sabermetrics. Ah. I'm, I'm Are you going to make up another rule or I'm another I'm going to yell at people on my lawn. My gosh, why, I, 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 I don't understand sabermetrics. That's going to be the pull quote that makes me look like a fool. But, no, the... If I write a column in, in the Detroit News, I get called a, a geek and people say I make stats up and it's, it's all sorts of insanity. Like, like, I'm some, you know, saber guru who actually makes up stats. I couldn't make up a stat to save my life. Meanwhile, people on the, the saber metric side, they, they talk in ways that I don't understand and I don't think the average fan understands. And if you try to point that out to them, you go, you know, guys, it's nice what you're doing, but nobody cares. They don't like that either. Well, <laughs> so I, I, I always feel like I'm stuck in the middle where, where I, I, it, it's just hard. You know, let's kill the wind. It, it, let's, let's. Let's talk, you know, the guy with the highest war wins. All this, all this stuff when, you know, get, tone it down. Give it, I think, and I will continue to say this and I will continue to do this. I will continue to bridge the gap between the, the average fan who just wants to watch baseball and have a good time and, and the people who do the research. I think the people who do the research have to realize that they're never going to win people over by that, by throwing out these these, these numbers and, and telling them, hey, your favorite sets suck. Those, those stats you knew since Little League, they're useless. I don't think that's the way you're going to win this argument, guys. So the, I think the sabermetrics people really have to calm down, have to keep doing their research. Great. It, it might be good for the game, but they have to realize that they're not going to win the battle if they, if they keep pushing the direction they're going. And, and on the other hand, People who who are so married to the wind that they can't see that 
it's a ridiculous step. That, that's not that's not helping matters either. So I I think you, we need to keep working in the middle ground. You know, people like me who have a column in the newspaper, I hope I'm helping push the you know pull, pull the average fan up you know bit by bit. People who talk on the radio like Dan Dickerson, Dan is just he does it perfect trying to pull pull the average fan up bit by bit. I, I I think Mario and Pemba and Rod Allen would would be well served not to act like a bunch of fools all the time. I think they're smarter than they, they let on. So I, I I really think that they should be doing their job to to pull the fan up bit, bit by bit. But I, I I don't think it's it's in anyone's best interest to either feign ignorance or or to be on a, a silver pedestal so so high above the the crowds that you can't see that they don't care what you're talking about. So that's uh, you know. But that's that's just almost a it's almost a rant because of what chats I had and, and stuff in the past week. So people are going, where is this coming from? But no, no, I I'm just I'm just already sick of what's going to happen to the MVP debate or Max Scherzer's Young debate or all that. I'm already in my defensive posture in annoyance because I know that we're gonna we're gonna have the battle of ignorance against the battle of snotheads who who think they're better than everyone else. And I think. The people who stand in the middle really need to do the, to, to, to stand there and say, "Hey, both of you, shut up! You're not helping." So that's that's what this rant is: shut up, people! You're not helping. Kurt mentioned voice of wow. reason, but how do you really feel, Kurt? Is the question. Oh yeah, I feel like I need to go pee. <laughs> there it is. There's Kurt. All right. <laughs> no, Kurt. If I could just add to that extremely briefly. Go ahead. You know, we, we joke about uh, the so-called narrative, but I think creating a narrative out of the numbers is extremely important in bridging the gap between the stats geeks and the average fan, you know, sitting at home watching on the television. And, you know, who's really, really good at this is, uh, you know, Bless You Boys commenter uh, G. Wilson. Mm-hmm. And actually, he's done some articles for the site, so I don't want to, you know, call him just a commenter. But, um, he's a contributor. He's, occasional he's a contributor. Yes. And he is very, very good. At not only supplying just these insane, you know, stats where it's like, let's create a vector and a subvector with a gravitational weightlessness and the Pythagorean, you know, Faluber or whatever, but then he will kind of round it out and say, and what this means is that Miguel Cabrera is not hitting the ball to the pole field as much. You know, he, he does kind of bridge that gap and show you why the stat actually means something. And I think that is the way to advance, you know, the, the more um, advanced sabermetrics is to be able to create that narrative. That might tack on my little bit. This, yeah, I'm I'm in agreement, Kurt. There's a happy medium here where uh, where you don't get completely lost in numbers, and and they have made a lot of progress. You know, people know what OPS is. People pay attention to more attention to on base percentage than batting average nowadays, and they know the value of a walk, and they realize that for the most part, bunting is bad strategy. But we see over the top stuff that completely turns me off. And any, I'm getting to the point now where if I even see an article that even hints at war. Cabrera and Trout. I don't even read it. I, 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 it I tune out. I yeah. tune out when if you hang your argument on war, I don't read the rest of it. That's yeah. just the way it is. It's a better tool to kind of evaluate a person looking back, not trying to figure out what he's doing right now. You know, it'll be one. I think war would be a wonderful tool if you look back at an entire career and you can kind of track how his career has gone by by the wins above replacement. But you know, there's it's a whole rabbit hole you can get into. And you know, I do I do enjoy some of the stuff that like uh, Keith Law, Brian Kenny, Dave Cameron, those guys do. But goddamn, they step over the line sometimes, and it's infuriating to see them, this, as Kurt called them, be snotty. You know, snooty snoot snoots. 
<laughs> is another good way to put it. So, all right. Now, my, I'm just going to add, since I am the, uh, the senior person of this trio, I'm the only one who is old enough to have actually seen the late, great Gates Brown play baseball. And I wanted to bring it up because Gates Brown uh, passed away on Friday at the age of 74. A man who had a, a really a tough childhood, you know, served time in prison, and really became a remarkable story in that uh, he, he he discovered he could hit the ball in, in playing for the prison team. Uh, Major League Baseball scouts were contacted. The Tigers got helped get him out on parole. And next thing you know, he became a, a very valuable Tiger, played on the team for 13 years, was a member of two World Series teams, uh, the last two actually, uh, with the 68 team as a very key contributor off the bench and the 84 team as the hitting coach. So uh, we're starting to see a lot of these guys from the 1968 team who really are the team for a certain generation. You know, for most, like for someone my age, my team is the 84 team, but I'm also old enough to remember watching you know, the 68 World Series and being a fan, but I really didn't get to watch those guys play until they were all towards the end of their career, like such as Gates Brown. But Gates Brown was a very important part of the Tigers for a very long time. And if you look at his numbers, his 1968 was absolutely insane. If you look back at baseball history, 1968 was literally the peak of the second dead ball era that was so completely dominated by pitching. Uh, you know, if you hit 250, you were having a great offensive year that year in 1968. And Gage Brown, you know, he was pretty much strictly a pinch hitter because he, he was very bad at defense. But he came off the bench and he hit 370 and he got a 442 on base percentage and slugged 685. When he, when he actually pinch hit, came off the bench, his OPS was 1.357. And this is in an era where uh, uh, Benny McLean won 30 games and Bob Gibson had 1.12 ERA. So, that just shows you go with just how good he, he he was as a hitter. So I just wanted to give props to Gates Brown for what he did for the Tigers, and he became a beloved uh, kind of a beloved part of the community in this area as he never left. And it was a sad day to hear that he passed away. So here's the Gates Brown. May he rest in peace. Let's wrap up the podcast. As we're a little bit over because we all got a little ranty at times. Hookslay, where can they find you online? Because I know there's a couple places where they can look for it. Uh, of course, at blessyouboys.com. Um, you'll find my articles and columns there uh, on Twitter at hookslidebyb, and then uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash hookslide.byb. Kurt, how about yourself? Well, you know, most mostly just at Busty Boys these days, although I did make a pretty good joke about 2.30 in the morning at BYB Kurt. If anyone wants to go check it out, it seems to get a little lost. Yeah, you're getting a little giddy for lack of sleep about that time in the morning, so or it yelling for gifts. It was a good joke. It was a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> and for that matter, uh, they can also find you at the Detroit News Online, correct? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I actually add a link in every show notes to Kurt's columns, so for those of you that don't pay attention to that kind of thing. Because so. actually, Kurt doesn't even know when the hell they're going to go live most of the time. So. I don't really know anything about the podcast either while I'm doing it. So. Yeah, yeah, well, we're just winging it, you know, just, we're just winging this whole blog thing as it is. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at BigAlBYB, and, of course, pretty much every day at Bless You Boys, writing recaps other than when Phil Coke's brain gave me a break and he tweeted, I don't know how you do this. <laughs> so, I don't either sometimes. And, I don't either. Yeah, and I'm not looking forward to the next couple of games because they're going to be unbearably 
boring games, but I'll do my best to make them interesting in a recap. So, but all right, Kurt's dog right the next one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just put a big paw print on there. Yeah, Don or approved. Paw is a really cute thing for the keyboard. Yeah, yeah, it'd be. Yeah, just like that. So, with that, let's wrap up the show. So, until this time next week, we're going to be talking Tigers versus A's. This is Al Beaton saying good night and good luck, along with Book Slide saying woohoo, Al Central baby, and Kurt Mitchell. Good night. And we'll be rolling on the next Bless You Boys podcast. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella. <laughs>